Well, we've come to the fourth commandment in our series on the Ten Commandments. So if you turn again with me to Exodus chapter 20. We'll read through uh, what we've studied so far uh, up through the fourth commandment. So up through verse 11 here. Hear God's holy word. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle, or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Well, in some ways, the fourth commandment is probably the most difficult of all the commandments, the Ten Commandments, to understand and to apply uh, in our particular day and time. Uh, it's the commandment that's mentioned more than any other in the Old Testament, over a hundred times it's referenced. Um, so it's not difficult because it's obscure. Uh, the, the challenge is whether and how it applies in, uh, under the New Covenant, uh, in the New Testament, after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So uh, it's, it's referenced over a hundred times, again, in the Old Testament. Uh, it's part of the moral law, these ten commandments that reflect God's very character for us. Uh, but then only, it's the only one of the Ten Commandments that's not explicitly referenced in, in the letters of the New Testament, for example. Um, some Christians have concluded that it's no longer binding in the New Testament era, that, that essentially, effectively, the church has nine commandments now. Uh, that's, that's not a majority position in, in church and in, in church history. Uh, many Christians, many traditions, including ours, uh, has understood always that the fourth commandment has continuing force and relevance for the church today. Um, but then within that view, there are many very widely varying views on exactly what that means and exactly how uh, it, it applies to today. Uh, and then increasingly, just in really just in recent decades, many other Christians have simply neglected to give the fourth commandment much thought at all. Um, it's, it's just ignored without, without a clear uh, reason for, for neglecting uh, this part of God's law, part of the Ten Commandments. So it's, it's a challenging topic. We need the Holy Spirit's guidance to consider how we should have, how, how he would have this commandment be a guide and be a blessing to our lives like the others. And, and that is my hope this morning, that we would see... Um, the fourth commandment as a continuing and great blessing from God, part of his grace, part of the way that we reflect him, uh, which his whole law is. 
I, I will not and will not try to sort out all the differing views um, at, at now or through church history or the nitty-gritty applications of this command that's um, even more difficult in our, our modern, more complex, um, more busy in some ways world. Uh, I leave that to you and, and to your family to think about uh, what, what that looks like in, in your lives uh, in a lot of details. But I hope that we can see in broad strokes what the Lord's Day, as it's called in the New Testament, uh, is designed and in Christ renewed uh, to be uh, as a blessing for us. I want to begin with the question of the fourth commandment in relation to the New Testament. Uh, the question of, you know, should we understand that, that the fourth commandment was completely fulfilled in Christ and so it doesn't have continuing relevance for the church? Uh, or, as, as our church, our, our tradition understands, was it fulfilled in significant ways in Christ but still has... Uh, ongoing relevance still calls us to, to duties and blessings with regard to a particular day uh, and to the week. Uh, when we turn to the New Testament, um, we, we have uh, some challenging references to, to wrestle with that we won't wrestle with in detail but uh, this morning. But for example, Colossians 2, verse 16 Paul says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Um, Certainly, at least what Paul has in mind there in Colossians 2 is the seventh day Sabbath. Uh, Nearly all Christians agree and have agreed that uh, there is no more seventh day Sabbath, uh, not a a Saturday Sabbath, if you will. That's a clear practice in the New Testament practice in the early church and church history as well. Um, opinions wi- vary widely on, on whether and how this, this verse, for example, in Paul, um, speaks to some continuing relevance of the fourth commandment or not uh, as a pattern in some way. But another thing we should recognize um, in, in thinking about the relation of the fourth commandment to Christ's coming and to the New Testament is, is that really Jesus' coming transformed all four of the commandments that we've considered so far, the first, the second, the third, and the fourth. Sometimes we just limit our, our, our wrestling with, you know, did Jesus coming change this to talking about the fourth commandment? It's not at all limited to that. Think about how our, our understanding of the first commandment is radically transformed by the coming of Christ. We more fully understand the Trinity, that this, this one true God is, is triune, and he became man. And we know him particularly through the person, the, man, the God-man of uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, that relates very closely to the second commandment and how that is dramatically transformed as well. How we conceive of this God, uh, particularly in the person of Christ. Or worship, the second commandment speaks to worship. Worship is in and through Christ. Um, the, the whole ceremonial law and the worship at the temple and the Sabbath offerings and, and so on, many things that would have been received in the Old Covenant as part of the Second Commandment are fulfilled in Christ. They're, they're no longer uh, part of our practice in the church. Uh, even the Third Commandment, uh, which is uh, simpler in some way, uh, speaking to the name of God, uh, now we understand it's, it's at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow. Um, and, and the fourth commandment as well. Uh, at the very least, the, the day, the seventh day, uh, has, has changed. Uh, the civil and ceremonial aspects of the fourth commandment 
Uh, we understand uh, our rest in Christ now, looking back. Uh, and so my point is simply that it, it, it's potentially consistent uh, to say that like the first three commandments, the fourth both remains in principle, but, but has been transformed significantly by the coming of, of Christ. So, so why might we understand the, the fourth commandment in principle uh, remains for the church uh, and, and would and could not have been abrogated completely by the coming of, of Jesus? Well, a first, a first consideration there is that unlike all of the, the, the ceremonies, the ceremonial law in the Old Testament, the temple, the priesthood, the sacrifices, and clean laws, and so on, uh, unlike those, the Sabbath principle did not come in with, with Moses. It wasn't presented for the first time at, at Sinai. Um, uh, in contrast to all those other things that passed away with the coming of Christ, uh, the Sabbath was there all along. Uh, it wasn't something new to God's people uh, at Mount Sinai. Uh, in fact, it was part of the very creation. Uh, in Genesis 1 and 2, uh, we read that as, as part of creation, God established a seven-day week. Uh, and uh, this pattern of working six days and resting one day. God himself did that to, to, to pattern that for humanity. Uh, Adam and Eve, created in the image of God, were, were to imitate God in, in working and in resting and having this seven-day week, uh, this cycle of work and rest. And so from the very beginning, we see the basic principles of work, of, of a seven-day week, of the day of rest, uh, to, reflect the gra- uh, to reflect on the grace and creation of God, uh, built into the very fabric of creation, built into uh, the fabric of humanity. Um, this is why, again, before any laws were, were given at Mount Sinai and, and the whole ceremonial law and, and so on, um, Israel was already practicing Sabbath in the wilderness on the way to Sinai. Um, when God provided manna for the, for the Israelites, right? they were to collect it for six days, but not on the seventh. They were to rest on the seventh day. Uh, this, this is seen also in, in just the language of the fourth commandment here that we read in Exodus 20. It says, remember the Sabbath day. Uh, not, not here's something totally new for you to think about, but remember what, what you already know. Um, honoring and keeping one day in seven dedicated to the Lord is something they were to remember. Um, another factor in, in our consideration, we've talked about this already in, in our introductory sermons, is that the Ten Commandments... Um, are, are very clearly set apart uh, from, from the other laws of the Old Testament, the, the ceremonial laws, the civil laws that God gave to Israel in their particular place and time. Um, they're the only commands that are written in stone. They're the only commands that, that are placed in the Ark of the Covenant then. Um, they're, they're the ones that are, are, we see that in the way they're reiterated in the New Testament as well. So fast forward to the New Testament uh, and think about Jesus had several confrontations, right, with the Pharisees over the Sabbath day. Uh, he corrects the Pharisees' understanding, but, but never even hints that the fourth commandment is disappearing. Uh, in fact, Jesus uh, seems to affirm the fourth commandment. I am Lord of the Sabbath, he says. Uh, he also said uh, Sabbath is made what well, was made for man. Right, for mankind. The Sabbath was made for mankind. He's hearkening, at least in part, back to creation there. It was built into the very creation of mankind as, as a gift to them. 
Uh, and so these, these are all reasons we understand that it's not something that, that would or could uh, simply pass away entirely. The, the final piece to consider is then that the New, New Testament church, which at least for a good while was largely made up of, of Jews who had the Sabbath regulating their entire lives and their entire history, uh, suddenly the church after the resurrection begins using Sunday, begins using the first day of the week as a day set apart for gathering and for worship. Um, and, and there are a number of examples in the New Testament that make that clear. Um, the New Testament church gave this day of worship a special name, the Lord's Day. Uh, John refers to it in that way in, in Revelation chapter 1, that the early church goes on to use that uh, term for this special day. Um, a very early church father, Ignatius, uh, said the church no longer observes the seventh-day Sabbath, but we direct our lives to the Lord's Day, he says. Uh, Justin Martyr says similar things. The Didache uh, reads similarly. Um, clearly, there's some great significance transferred from the Sabbath day uh, to the Lord's Day in the New Testament uh, and in the ancient church. Um, and, and adding, again, significant weight to that, that observation is the fact well, think about it this way. Imagine everyone in the United States uh, suddenly, willingly moving New Year's Day celebration to, say, June 12th or something. Very strange, right? Or, or Monday night football is suddenly played on Tuesday mornings, right? And everybody just goes along with it. it, 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 it the change to the Lord's Day from the Seventh-day Sabbath was, was far more radical than that. Uh, and, that, and yet it was immediately widely accepted. How, how did the church understand that? How did, why, why that change? Well, it's, obviously, it's, it's the day of resurrection. Right? It's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, on the seventh day Sabbath, God rested from his work of creation, the Bible says. Right? And Hebrews 4, that we read earlier this morning, uh, connects that very closely to the Lord's day. Jesus rested from his labors. On the first day of the week, God rested and sanctified a day. Jesus rested from his labors of, of redemption, of recreation. Um, back in, you know, we're reading through the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. There's another copy of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5 that we haven't been reading through. It's essentially the same thing, only the fourth commandment is stated a little bit differently. Uh, it connects the fourth commandment, the reason. Uh, there, not so much to creation, but, but to redemption. God has saved you. He, he saved you out of Egypt. It, it, it points them back to the Exodus. Uh, so the original Sabbath ref was, was reflecting on God's perfect creation, his grace in creation. Well, that creation was marred by sin, right? But God was going to restore, and, and Exodus and the Promised Land were a foretaste and a prototype of that ultimate salvation and rest that God would provide. Well, now that salvation has come, right? The church no longer was, was ending its week, was, was working six days and then ending its week with rest as a picture of, of anticipating God providing rest. Uh, the church moved that day of rest and worship under the apostles to the first day. We, we begin our week resting in the finished work of Jesus and, and then living out the week, living out our work on that foundation. And yet we still have, there, there's still much parallel between us and, and the Old Testament church. We still anticipate, we're still waiting for, for full and final rest. 
Right? We don't have that full and final rest from sin and death and evil. Um, again, Hebrews, Hebrews 4 that we read earlier makes these connections. There remains, therefore, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. We have the rest. We, we, we anticipate the rest. We have it and we're waiting for it. There's, it's already and it's not yet. We every week have the opportunity to remember the resurrection life and rest uh, in Christ that, that he's given to our souls, and yet also an opportunity to, to taste and to anticipate that, that full and final rest and destination. Well, let's consider, secondly, a, a little bit more of the, the what and why, the basic principles of the fourth commandment, as you see on your outline there. I'll do, do this in two... Two, two different little groups here. So first, uh, work and rest. A, a basic pattern of work and rest, again, is built into the creation, built into our, our human need, our human being. Um, again, God established and modeled that rhythm of, of working and resting uh, himself for us to pattern. Uh, it's easily forgotten, though, I think, in, in thinking about the fourth commandment and discussions of it, as we often wrestle maybe most with what does rest mean, uh, that there's a command there to work. Right? Part of the command is, is to work, to use six days diligently. Uh, the, the rest, I've been saying already, is a, it's a, what theologians call a creation ordinance. It, it came in at the creation. It wasn't part of the fall. It didn't come later as an afterthought or a response to sin. It was part of the way God created the world. But that, that's true of work as well. Uh, work is not a, a evil drudgery or something. It's, it's how God created the world. Um, the fourth commandment, the rest of the scriptures dignify and command diligent work. Uh, we were created for it. Uh, of course, that doesn't mean, just mean our, what we often call our work, our, our careers, but all that we're called to do. It's sitting quietly and reading with your kids or sweeping at, you know, floors at home or what, whatever, you're, whatever you're doing. We, we work diligently at it. Uh, one writer summarizes this, God governs our work as well as our rest. Uh, in other words, the fourth commandment gives a, a God-ordained pattern to our time. We, we work hard, we work diligently, we also are called to take time to rest and reflect. Um, and, and again, in that the Lord's Day serves largely to remind us of and, and to anticipate full and final peace and rest that we have one day in Christ. I, I think we could say it's nothing less than a philosophy of history, in a sense. Uh, one, one writer puts it this way, it, it was a reminder to Adam and, and to all of us that history is not a ceaseless repetition of days. His toil was meaningful and would, would result in rest. This, this cycle of a seven-day week with rest is, is not, it's a reminder we're, we're not just on a never-ending hamster wheel of history, right? It's, it's heading somewhere. It's a philosophy of all of history, a reminder that history and all of our days and all of our labor uh, is heading towards an ultimate purpose, towards peace and justice and renewal in a full and final way. Uh, but, but moving to letter B there on your outline, the, the rest that's given to us in the Lord's Day, it, it seems to be built in to restore us physically in some way, but, but it's not rest just for the sake of rest. It, it's to restore us spiritually. Uh, the Old Testament elsewhere gives a, a clear sense of what the day is for, uh, what, what 
the Sabbath or the Lord's Day is, is for. Uh, Leviticus 23, for example, says it's a day of holy convocation. It's a day that, the fancy word, for gathering, for worship. It's a day for gathering for worship. This is what the church has been doing for over 3,000 years. Uh, Jesus, in his life, set the Sabbath apart um, uh, for this purpose, gathering at the synagogue to worship uh, with God's people. So it's a day to set aside other ordinary things in order to be able and primarily to gather for worship. Again, God took a day to, to cease, to pause. That's really what the, the word means, to reflect on his works. And that's, that's the basic principle. We take a day particularly to remember God, to Ecclesiastes 12, to remember our creator. Uh, remember the works of God through Christ. Remember that we don't live for ourselves. Uh, one writer puts it this way, a day to reflect on and enjoy the wonders of God and to worship him for them. A day to step back from life's ordinary routines in order to rediscover God's goodness and grace. Now you might say, well, aren't we supposed to do that every day? Well, of course. Yes, we, we are called to that every day of our lives. But it isn't evident from, from, just, from our lives that we, we need and we're blessed to have a, a day particularly given to that, particularly set aside for that, to, to, to reorient ourselves to our, our union with Christ and, and to our purpose and, and God's promises in the future and, and so on. You know, there's all kinds of ways that our, our culture does that uh, or tries to do that. Um, the, the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers, is often in off-seasons in the news for some new quirky way of doing that each year, uh, whether it's magic mushrooms one year or, you know, there's all kinds of things. He's tried to, you know, center himself and figure out his future. He was, I bring that up because he was in the news just this last week, again, for his attempt at that. This year, um, he went on what's apparently called a darkness retreat uh, in, in Oregon. You go in a cave for three or four days by yourself in the dark, and you find yourself and, you know, figure out your future. Um, I think it's a kind of a striking metaphor, really, for the way that our, our culture tries to do this kind of thing, you know, finding meaning in the dark. Um, but we've been given the light of a day to reorient our lives, um, lives that worship God, that are founded on his grace. And, and for thousands of years, the church has used that gift of a day especially to do that. Um, just one final piece here briefly in, in connection with what the day is for. Jesus himself demonstrates this particularly and, and teaches that it's, it's a day for doing mercy, for doing good. Um, Jesus healed people on the Sabbath day. This is you know, particularly the thing he clashed with the Pharisees on. But Jesus pursued people to, to help them, to heal them, uh, to show them mercy. And demonstrated that as a purpose of the day. It's, it's really a logical outworking of the purpose of the Sabbath day. It's, if it's a day to remember and to anticipate uh, peace and, and God's you know, ultimate restoration uh, of things, his redemption, to have a taste of that, certainly it makes sense that it's a day to extend that to others, extend blessing to others, whether that's showing hospitality or visiting shut-ins or visiting someone in the hospital or, or whatever that might be. All right, I want to move to the third point on your outline here. 
people who take the Lord's Day seriously always want to know, okay, what does that mean I can't do? You know, tell me specifically. Give me the list. Um, and with all the commandments, we need to think through the, the negative. What is God calling us away from? Uh, and the positive. What, what is God calling us to pursue? Uh, to, to What is good here? Uh, but I would, I would argue the fourth commandment has been a particular trap for legalism. For, in, in a way, overdoing this side and, and adding on, piling on, uh, on the negative. Uh, the... the you know, just to speak to a couple parts of our tradition, the New England Puritans famously had 39 pages of small print rules for the Sabbath day, uh, for the Lord's day. Uh, it's kind of hard to see how that fits with Jesus' confrontations with, with the Pharisees uh, in, in how they were thinking about it. Uh, John Owen, on the other side of the, the pond, the Puritans uh, in, in England, uh, he wrote that you can hardly, in the, in the six days of work, read through all the rules they had for the, for the other day. Uh, he lamented. And so uh, I think parts of our own tradition have tended in the direction of too many universally binding rules. I would also then say quickly, on the other hand, uh, American culture and the American church has massively tended in the other direction. Right towards, towards total neglect in thinking about the fourth commandment at all um, and God's design and gift in it. So I, I want this morning to ask the question that I would say either, either extreme is really neglecting. Um, that will help us, I think, tend towards a more balanced and biblical view and application of the Lord's Day. Rather than asking, what do I have to do? What can I not do? And so on. And those aren't bad questions. But, but ask the question, what is... What is this blessing? What is the Lord's Day for? How, how can I make full use of this great blessing and design of God for, for humanity? Uh, and why? Uh, so you see point three there, a, a focus on the positive, some further themes to guide our use of the Lord's Day. And so I, I hope these themes might be helpful to you and your family as you consider this law of God relating to our use of time and to communing with him. Um, this, this gift of God's grace. So letter A there, uh, it is a day to rely, a day to rely on the Lord. Uh, another way to put that would simply be a, a, a day that teaches us to trust the Lord. Uh, one of the challenges in, in really setting a day apart in some way is that uh, it doesn't seem productive. Right? It's not very American uh, in that way. There's always more to do, right? There's, there are careers to advance and Money to be made, there are always those Joneses to keep up with. Um, Bill Gates, several years ago when he was asked uh, why he doesn't believe in God, uh, gave an interesting answer that relates to the Lord's Day. He said, well, just in terms of allocation of time and resources, religion is not very efficient. He said, there's a lot more I could be doing on a Sunday morning. And, and isn't that a, a pull on, on all of our lives and, and all of our attitudes? Or we think, well, God can have... You know, half the day, Sunday morning maybe, and then we side with Bill for the rest of the day. Um, in, in the Old Testament, the, the Sabbath functioned in a lot of ways like the tithe in, in teaching God's people to trust. Um, it, it took great faith in God in one sense. I mean, it was to be done with joy, understanding its purpose and love for God, but it, it took great trust to give a tithe, especially in a agrarian subsistence society, right, thousands of years ago. It was, 
It was related to life and death in terms of trust, giving of, to God 10% of, of your produce. Well, the same, the same principle was at work in the Sabbath. And, and God challenges people on both those things. So in, in Malachi, God challenged them on the tithe. He, he, I'm paraphrasing here, but you can, you can look it up later. God essentially said, you know, test me. Bring in the whole tithe and, and see if I won't pour out so much blessing on you that you won't know what to do with it all. Right? Not necessarily material blessing in, in kind, but, but greater blessing. And, and similarly, in Isaiah 58, God promises great blessing to those who will set aside the Sabbath to honor God's day of worship and rest. And, and the same principle is still at work with, with us in, in terms of how we give. It's a measure of our, our trust. Can we, can we give this up and, and trust that God will provide? And, and honoring the Lord's Day as well. It, it helps us to actively trust God to provide. It helps, helps us to resist the temptation to be enslaved by careers or work or competition or profit or whatever, whatever it might be. Um, we're reminded at the beginning of every week that life isn't founded on, on our efforts Right? The Sabbath functions remind us that life, the rest of the week, all of our good work, is founded on the grace of God. Psalm 46 uh, says, cease striving and know that I am God. In some ways that, that summarizes uh, how the, the Lord's Day teaches us to trust. Secondly, letter B, it's a day of release. A day of release or a day of freedom. Uh, freedom to worship God. Freedom from all kinds of competing clamor in our lives. Good things, right? Also, things that we do to the glory of God and from him. The fact is the Lord's Day can often be seen as, as restrictive or, or a burden or, or has been, and, and sometimes people make it that, sadly. Uh, but it's a great blessing. Think of the, the blessing and freedom that the Sabbath was when it was announced again to Israel uh, at Sinai. What was their situation? They, they had just been in bondage, in slavery for hundreds of years, right? No rest, no control of their time. And God is freeing them now to have 52 days of rest and restoration and communion with him. He was essentially mandating seven and a half weeks of you know, purposeful vacation for these slaves every year. What a blessing that was. And, and we likewise are freed from the things that might otherwise Come to enslave us, if, even if we feel those are things we'd rather be doing sometimes. Uh, it's interesting to note how Israel came to forget this later at times and, and forget and not see the blessing uh, of this day. Uh, in Amos chapter 8, uh, Amos is rebuking the people of Israel for saying, he's quoting them, When will the new moon be over, one of their festivals? When will the Sabbath be over that we can go offer wheat for sale? You know, it had become this restrictive burden. And Amos is seeing the Israelites there looking at their watches. You know, how many, how many more hours in this day till we can get back to what we really want to do and making money and keeping up with the world? And there's so many things that are competing for, for our ultimate allegiance, competing for our, uh, maybe even to enslave us, that compete with setting aside a day to worship God, uh, commerce or profit or business, uh, leisure, just for leisure's sake, that, that's, that leisure is, is a good gift of God if we understand it from a Christian worldview. Uh, kids' sports is a big one. 
Um, you know, when, when these things come into conflict with, with God's design, God's people gathering at the throne of grace on the Lord's day, uh, how, how could worship at the throne of grace possibly lose to these lesser things? Uh, sadly, for many, worshiping the throne of grace, lifting up his name, hearing his word, uh, does lose uh, to competing things. Uh, Phil Riken has a comment. Um, well, let me say first that a big part of that, I think, is not, not uh, again, seeing the freeing blessing that it is to have a day uh, of rest and worship. Um, Kevin DeYoung's comment is that it, it's a, a, the day is to be an island of get-to in an ocean of have-to. An island of get-to in an ocean of have-to. And then Phil Riken has a comment on this, this struggle that I find uh, it, it's strong but convicting. He says, our problem is that we find it so hard to take genuine delight in the sanctified pleasures of God. He's talking about the Lord's Day, but it applies to prayer and, and other things that God gives us too. Uh, he says, dare I say it, God bores us. We're willing to spend some of our time worshiping God, but then we feel we need a break, and so we go right back to the world's lesser pleasures. But the more we learn to delight in God, the more we are, keeping, we are able to keep his day. That really applies to all of the commands, though, doesn't it? Delighting in God. The more you delight in the God of truth, the more you'll tell the truth and keep the ninth commandment, right? More, more than just focusing on you know, trying really hard not to tell a lie negatively. Right? The more you delight in the faithfulness of God, the more you'll be faithful to your wife. The seventh commandment, over against just trying really hard not to not be faithful. Uh, the more you delight in the holy name of God, the third commandment, the less you'll even have to think about what, what kind of words or witness you'd have to avoid to, to break the third commandment. It, it'll always be necessary for us as sinners to give careful thought to what God forbids and avoiding sin and fleeing it but we'll find the greatest progress and motivation and joy in God's commands as we learn to delight positively in in God himself in his grace and in his character and that's that's certainly true with the fourth commandment Uh, letter c on your outline there it's a day thirdly to rejoice a day to rejoice Uh, in the old covenant God governed Israel's calendar uh, to a, a greater degree, right? There are many holy days, festivals, fee, uh, and so on. And what's, what's one thing common to all of those holy days, those, those weeks? We studied these last year, you know, the, the Day of Atonement and uh, the Passover and the Feast of Weeks and so on. Well, one thing that's common to all of them is there were times of rejoicing, of feasting with family and with the family of God. And it seems to me that that should inform our understanding of the Lord's Day. This is the, the one special day remaining in, in the New Testament. Uh, I love the Heidelberg Catechism's uh, description of the Lord's Day. And it calls it a festive day of rest. A festive day of rest. It, it's the New Testament feast day. I, I think is a, a legitimate conclusion. It, it's right that we would treat it as a celebration. That we enjoy and remember the goodness of God in, in one of the most biblical ways with food. right? Not just snacking, but feasting. And, and that's not, to, uh, not speaking to some kind of obligation to a certain level of, uh, of meal or something like that. But I, I, I grew up with uh, a tradition of feasting on the Lord's Day. I'm, I'm thankful and, and blessed by that. I think it's appropriate. It's, it's a, the fact that it's a day of gathering 
clearly in the scriptures, uh, implies it's a day for fellowship, a day to be with God's people, uh, feasting with brothers and sisters. It's the reason it's so appropriate. We have uh, our monthly feast together here that we have next week, uh, South American feast. Um, A day of gathering implies, um, again, it's a day for fellowship. Uh, and feasting, I think. Um, again, in the Old Testament, God rooted the Sabbath not only in creation, but also in, in redemption. And uh, a main reason that we worship on the first day of the week now is that that's the day Jesus raised from the dead. It's, it's a resurrection day. Uh, that that Im, Im, implies that uh, maybe one application is, you know, as, as we come into the spring here and enjoy Easter, celebrate the resurrection, but but... Don't let that overshadow the fact that God has given 52 resurrection days uh, appointed by him uh, to celebrate the resurrection uh, all year. And fourthly, uh, letter D, finally, uh, it's a day uh, spiritually to rest. Uh, It reminds us spiritually of our rest. Um, This is the most important application of the fourth commandment. Uh, it, It applies to every day of our life in an important way, that we're to rest in the finished work of Christ. We're to give up our own righteousness, our own self-righteousness in any way. Uh, We're to give up struggle for meaning or significance on our own in our workplace or at school or however it might be. Uh, We're to give up reliance on ourselves in every way and rest in the finished work of Christ, who he's made us. Uh, by his death and resurrection. And this is, again, what Hebrews 4 is urging us to. Strive to enter the rest that that Jesus provides. That's something we do every day. Uh, He alone obeyed the law perfectly. Uh, We don't accomplish some future rest by by being good enough uh, before the Lord. Uh, He paid the penalty for your sin. He made you righteous with God. He assures peace and meaning and prosperity. Uh, in in your future by God's promises. His invitation is, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Uh, Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time again to consider uh, your law, as as we sang earlier from Psalm 19, gives great reward. As we understand it, it gives light. Um, uh, We thank you for... um, the Lord's day and the gift of your grace that it is. We thank you for the, the pattern of a, a week, the um, uh, goodness of work that you've given us to do. Uh, I pray that you'd give us um, careful and, and godly reflection on these things uh, today, this your day, and, and throughout this coming week uh, to your glory and to your, to, uh, for our good. Um, as you've given this law for our good. So we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.